When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wait, how does this work? On tonight's Dad Band Land, here's some of what we're going to be talking about. That was great. That was good. He's getting good. I don't think we, I don't think we need commentary on it anymore. I think, I think it's all good now. We can just nobody. I don't think, I don't think you need the judge. No the judges. I'm not judging you. I'm telling you to shut up. <laughs> oh, well then, hit it. I see your sister in a Sunday dress. Big monkey man, he's got life, he's got life. 
Everybody, welcome to Dad Band Land. DBL. That's right. It's <laughs> yeah. nobody's chipping in. Yes. Wow. No, no, no. Yes. no is, this, is this COVID brain fog? What is happening? Yeah, can we do that? No, again? I thought I thought somebody. Usually, everybody like yells a joyous DBL you know along maybe, with me, and then I maybe, go to my speed. May, maybe we should do it again. Let's do it again, but leave this in so everybody can hear what I have to fucking go through. Oh, Here we go. <laughs> DBL! Oh, yeah, DBL! Woo! Yeah! All right, DBL in the house, yeah. That's right, it is DBL, the podcast where uh, we discuss all the music we're obsessed with from the point of view of a neighborhood cover, cover band. I am Adam Felber, your host. I am Kevin Burke, your co-host, and welcoming, welcoming Adam back from two COVID experiences. You got to explain what just happened to you since we were on here last. Yeah, let me do that, and then we'll introduce the uh, the rest of our crew. Uh, last time you guys heard my voice, I was in the throes of I had just been diagnosed with COVID the day before, and I was feeling terrible, and I wasn't sure I was going to pull through. Great thing is, five days later, I was fine, tested negative, had that Paxlovid. Two days after that, I had something, which you might want to hear about, called the Paxlovid rebound. Happens in about 2 to 5% of cases. <laughs> what happens is... You test positive again, and you get symptoms again, and you got to quarantine again for another five days. So I spent essentially um, two weeks inside, not moving, and now I am going to have to train like Rocky in Rocky Four, just yes. to regain my status as an out-of-shape middle-aged man. You did a COVID encore. You, I did. You I did. Somebody COVID. yelled, somebody yelled Freebird, and there I was back in the COVID <laughs> tank. Hey! Speaking of the tank, who's in the tank here with us tonight? Why, over there is our chief technology officer, Jeffy Brannion. He's that the guy who runs me. Jeffy's Jukebox. Woo! Right. Jeffy. Thank you. Thank you for having me this week. I, 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 feel, I feel, like, really gratified that you're having me back on the show. You've always been on the show. Well, shh, that he knows about. You've always oh, been the right. caretaker. Yeah. <laughs> You've always been the caretaker. <laughs> hey, uh, Jeffy, what's, what's playing in your jukebox down the road tonight? Well, tonight's episode of Jeffy's Jukebox, we're talking about our favorite soundtracks. Fantastic. Right. And to clarify, for those of you who are scoring at home, and I know you're scoring, uh, when we talk soundtracks, we'll talk about it later, we're talking about movies with songs in it and not necessarily the score. Right. Yes, we're specifically not talking about scores. Song okay. tracks. Yeah, we're calling them song tracks, right? I understand no, no, that's, that's what they're there's called. A, there's a word for it. It's soundtrack. <laughs> it's, it's an existing word, word we are that inventing. people are it's familiar called the with. song track. We have yeah. created the song track. It's a DBL exclusive. We will, do, yeah. we will argue about this later in the show, and I'm sure our audience can't wait to get to that part. <laughs> Delightful. Because all the email I get at dadbandland at gmail.com says, more bickering, please. Yeah, I want to know why Brian doesn't like the rules of this segment. That's what they say all the time. Um, <laughs> I've, got, I've got a small but ardent <laughs> fan base. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of Brian, Brian Frank, band manager, I hear your bands are exploding this summer. It's been so busy, and I'm so happy that people are out there performing music uh, in concert for people and people are out there enjoying live music it's it's a great do you want to plug your guys you, who's out there right now oh everyone's out there so we have uh rodrigo and gabriella are out in europe we have they're uh, big now they're getting bigger and bigger 
It's been a, an amazing tour, and uh, next year is going to be even bigger and badder. Uh, we have a Ceramic Animal is out with the Black Keys and Band of Horses. They just played wow. at uh, Red Rocks last night. Um, Fantastic. And we got Seether playing some shows uh, this weekend, and Fu Manchu just got back from Europe. We're, we're cranking. You're rolling. And while you're doing that, you're trying to maintain your role as a homeowner, too. Because as we know, you have been paying the mortgage and painting the walls of Brian's House of Wax. What are you featuring in the House of Wax this evening? Absolutely. So, you know, all this is happening while in the House of Wax. And tonight we'll be talking about Guns N' Roses' debut album, Appetite for Destruction. All right. Wow. And what a week we have spent. I'm sure we've all been through an experience this week with... uh, Appetite for Destruction. That album is, uh, well, I won't say what it is until we get to your house. <laughs> Welcome to the jungle, Adam. <laughs> it's, it's a house, not a jungle. All right, so moving on. This is a part of the uh, show where we talk about what's going on with the band. And as we know, nothing is going on with the band <laughs> because because COVID is rampaging through our neighborhood. <laughs> People are not socializing anymore. And I am only um, uh, about... A day and a half out of the tank since uh, I not, tested negative gonna, and passed my five-day threshold. I'm not going to be conspiratorial, but we were this close to starting yeah. playing again, and then you got COVID not yeah. once but twice. This is this well, is well, technically I mean, it's once. It's a rebound of symptoms. I don't know. Uh, I'm taking and, it personally. I, think, I don't know, man. I mean, this seems questionable to me that this would happen to us. Uh, hey, who, man, who we're would, cool. I promise. Who would fake having COVID? Adam Belber. Just to get out of a band <laughs> practice. Yeah. Hey, wouldn't have even been in practice. It would have been a jam at this point. We're starting with jamming. We're starting from... But we do, have the, uh, we do have the notional uh, place that we're um, rehearsing and the notional uh, composition of the band all in place. Yeah, except we've got a plague that's Notionally. ravaging one, one member of the band. Okay, at the moment, one member of the band that we know of. We haven't talked to the other guys. Hey, Kevin, what, so yeah. what are we doing in the breakdown section? So, Just so, we so no because, because we need to get back to playing because someone's got the plague repeatedly, we need to... Jesus. <laughs> we, I wanted to discuss tonight, you know, the the exciting yeah. magical time that brought us together. I feel, like, I feel like we need to sell that story because we talked about being kids, buying stuff, playing in college, playing songs professionally... Then there's years where we're in the wilderness. As far as I can tell, I'm in the wilderness. I'm like occasionally grabbing my guitar. I've got career and kids. I have no reason to play with anyone else. You're in the wilderness just playing piano by your, whatever, whatever, playing fingertips by yourself or whatever it is, chopsticks. Fingertips? Chopsticks? Yeah. What, that, <laughs> well, I, you're so willfully ignorant of, of the craft of keyboard. It's, it's, it's amazing. I st- um, yeah. yeah, but I was in the wilderness. I, I, you know, I'd occasionally, as we said last time, I would occasionally play for or write songs for shows that I was working yeah, on, but same. I wasn't playing with a band in any way. And I think if we were to trace back, Kevin, where you and I uh, found the dad band experience again, it all starts with Room 2, doesn't it? Well, I suppose that it does, but the story I heard is this. I mean, we met each other in school. Our kids were going to school together in Room 2, as we called it, Room 2. It was a kindergarten class that had, um, as parents, many of the original members of our first dad band. And the story I was told is that some of those parents were walking down, this is just what I was told, were walking down the street one day and they heard, not unlike you in college, they heard a rousing rendition of 
the final countdown from Europe coming from a garage in the neighborhood. No, 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 they, <laughs> no I swear, no, that's what happened. Didn't. That's what I was told happened. And they were like, who is this? Who yeah. can play the final countdown so well that we yeah. have to get him as band? That's not... That's not, that's not what happened. Oh, well, then they, and you know that's then not they what happened. they lied to me. I, I'm just the messenger. I don't, in fact, play the final countdown. I've never actually learned how to play the final I can countdown. Teach you to you. And I didn't have a keyboard that could play the final I, countdown I, I in my garage. I don't think you would need to learn how to play it. <laughs> <laughs> you would. You know what? Shockingly enough, you would learn have to learn how to play that one. It would take me 10 minutes, but I would have to learn. There are a couple okay. of chords in there, too. Oh, well, you know what? Challenge accepted. That's the first thing we're going to end up doing when we go back in. Yes, you're absolutely right. It's not. <laughs> um, so, no, but in, in the land of reality, uh, yeah. it was room two, wasn't it? Uh, I believe it was. But here's what I know happened is that you were having lo- what we call loose jams with certain members that I was avoiding because it seemed a little too loose. I was just kind of like, like was, is that like having loose morals? It was like like having loose stool. It was what it was like. It was more like it wasn't ambitious yeah. enough for you. It was it was it, honestly <laughs> yeah, it was it wasn't ambitious enough dads rocking out for me. No, it I definitely knew. <laughs> I definitely knew what it was. It was more it was a little it was a little like once it became to the point where I was hearing like we can go play places and do stuff and learn the songs. I'm like that's that's my jam. Can I can do play that. songs. Yeah, the idea of Yeah, you yeah. know you're not you're not wrong. I mean, there were, I think there were, you know, uh, six or seven hundred dads in my circle of friends who played guitar. And mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Absolutely. But one of them, one of them had a big living room with a piano in it, and he, and he barely played guitar. He was just learning, so he constantly wanted to have people over to jam with him. And I started showing up just because, like, why not? Have a drink, play some music. Um, and slowly... It started becoming a thing where, oh, somebody can play the bass? Great. Now we have a bass and a bunch of guitars and a keyboard. And at some point, you joined the band. You know what? At some point, we once played in a backyard, and then you set up, and I played guitar, and we both learned how to play the intro to the Blues Brothers. And then we decided we were going to do a comedy routine where all we did was shtick and then just do then do stings between every joke. That was just going to be the thing. We never, you know, for some reason, that comedy routine never took off. I don't understand why. I don't understand why. We that could, was a we, funny idea. We could add another segment to the show. <laughs> the yeah. dream is not dead. The dream. Is not if, dead. I remember, Jeffy, if I remember, Jeffy the gag, some bits. To- Jeffy writes bits, and then you and I <laughs> just hit stings at the end of every bit, and that's it. That's yeah. that's the bit. If I remember, the the, the actual uh, nugget of the gag was that the the stings would be absolutely irresistible rock intros that never actually get to the song. Yes, <laughs> yes. The Blues Brothers yeah. is the first. Yeah, never get Oh, by the way, take a note. That's a great Jeffy's Jukebox topic. Best intros, most infectious intros. And if anybody says Final Countdown, I will slap the taste out of your mouth. you just said it was not going to be easy to learn. I am challenging you. You know what? I bet you can't even learn it. It's like... Most a, a lot of things. A, a minute to learn, a lifetime to master. You know what? That that is what most people think of the final countdown as. Yeah, that's that's sure. <laughs> no, that's what sure. nobody thinks of the final <laughs> countdown. Sure, you can play it. Yeah, anyone can but play can the you final play countdown. Can you play it? Yeah. Can you play? I, it? I'm I'm with Jeffy on this. You know what I mean? There's a lot of lackluster performances of the final countdown out there. So there's only one Europe. I, look, what lackluster I, performances of the final <laughs> countdown out there? I think that only you the guys can best it. Yeah, only yeah, you guys only, can best it. Only yeah. we can do this. We it is up to us. The challenge no. is up to us. You need to reclaim. You owe it to rock. Yeah. 
We need to <laughs> yeah. reclaim the final countdown. It has been, you know, so degraded. Okay, so Kevin, after we assembled as a band, sure. my memory is we played a couple of parties uh, in people's living rooms. We, you know, we got up there as a band and, and played, a, played a couple of times. Um, we played yeah. songs that I hated and that you hated. <laughs> yeah, that's not too difficult on some days. But... Um, no, but I you know, know we did you Jack and Diane at one point. I never did <laughs> Jack I and Diane. I never did Jack and Diane. I told everyone that you I, might have left the room. No, I, well, because I poured myself a glass of Clorox and drank it instead of playing Jack and Diane. <laughs> you, you, you just tell yourself that, Kevin. You blocked it out. <laughs> There's footage of me. You actually no, you sang lead. You you missed this though. There was a neighborhood party. Where there was a band with three guitar players, and it was called <laughs> Scarati Kid, and we played '80s songs with a ska oh, ska boy. tone to it. Mm. And uh, Scarati Kid, what? Yeah, led led to me joining another parent band that was called Your Mama at the time, which inadvertently led to more. It's all this roundabout way. I mean, we are such a fantastic. It's like the it's like the Laurel Canyon of. <laughs> middle ground right is what we are the laurel canyon of of, of average people playing rock is what this is <laughs> and, what, and what's kind of cool about that is you know from the streets of our neighborhood we can actually see laurel canyon <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah we can see david crosby's house probably but way up there us. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're on the hill yeah you know who won't live enough. Yeah. no that, that's right that's he well m- more notably he can see us he can literally look down upon us and, and pass judgment on everything that we do and here laugh. in Valley. And laugh. He yeah. has the higher ground. <laughs> he has yeah. the high ground. He is the chosen in one. In so many ways. Yeah, literally. And so, by the way, David Crosby, we didn't, we haven't talked about it, but he has come out with a couple of albums in the last couple of years at the age of 900 or something, and he's still writing really good songs. You know what? It shocked me. You, you think he wants to join a neighborhood neighborhood dad band? I mean, it's like really well, two, we're two miles from his house. Well, we should uh, we'll ask him because isn't he going to be our guest next week on uh, next week's episode? Um, yes, Brian. <laughs> Tune in next week, everybody, for David Crosby. If that falls through, you'll still get the same quality programming you've come to expect from Dad Bandland, and also these quality sponsors, Dad Bandland. Woo! Dead Band Land is back. Wow, I want to buy all those products. Those are good products. I got products. I love products. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) guess what's... I don't know about you guys, but it's been an awful hot day. Yeah. And uh, I hear there's a roadhouse down yonder where a couple of likely lads like us could just kind of stroll in, order a cold one, and check in with Jeffy's Jukebox. Right. Oh man, we need a Jeffy's jukebox theme in the yeah, worst fucking way. Yeah, we do. We yeah, set it yeah. up. That was, speaking of intro song intros, would never start the song. You set that whole bit up, and there was literally <laughs> nothing. I'm hearing like a like a ragtime piano yeah. kind of thing. I know, but Are you did you? a whole you did a whole setup. Jeff was yeah. like, "Hey, yeah, what's up? Hey, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jeffy, That's... what's playing in your jukebox tonight? I know it's not your theme song. <laughs> it's not." Tonight's Jeffy's Jukebox, Jeffy's Icebox, is favorite soundtracks. Favorite soundtracks. Can you be more specific? I'm very intrigued by this. Is there another word for this, phrase for this? uh, No, soundtracks (laughs) is the word. Um. (laughs) Okay, so to to clarify for everybody, 
We've had a week-long debate because we wanted to talk about movies that kind of act like jukeboxes themselves. We're talking about the songs from the movies. As differentiated from the score, which is the music written to underscore the movie. However, both get called soundtracks frequently when they sell the album. Sometimes they sell the score and then the soundtrack, but often they sell the score with the soundtrack or in addition to as a soundtrack. Uh, I don't know what to do about that, but Kevin... uh, <laughs> Kevin offered a neologism. <laughs> a neologism, right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying song, song track. That's what I would call it, you know, unprofessionally, just so I knew the difference between which version of Batman soundtrack I was picking up. Do you know, was it you're, the song version or was the score it the version? Sound, was it the soundtrack or the score? Because <sighs> song track is just saying the same word twice it in a row. It is not even a phrase. I'm trying to make it a phrase, Jeffy. Just make yeah, it. You can make new words. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> That's no. why I said neologism. You can. That's why I probably mispronounced. <laughs> but Jeffy's overruling that one. Well, yeah. it's your jukebox. It's his jukebox. Jeffy, why don't you yeah. start us off? I will start, start us, us off. Start us off. With two of my... log on the fire. Two of my favorites. Uh, Purple Rain. Of course, oh, you yeah. can't... You can't... Uh, you can't... Both, both, my cho- both my choices actually are uh, diegetic. There's diegetic music. Ooh. Um, yes. Uh, which is... Um, you know, movie, music that's uh, part of the action of the film. Sometimes called source. Oh music. yeah, source. <clears throat> Very yes. good. Thank you. <laughs> but but neither neither are part of musicals, which is yet another category. Yet another category. Right? Yeah, we, True. And I was I was struggling with that when I was coming up with this. I was like, do I include the Wiz? I could maybe. I don't know. Yeah, you good. could. No, and Purple Rain walks that line because it's not a musical, and and Jeffy's right. It's diegetic. But it's its own album because it's not all the music from right. Purple Rain. You know, it's not the score and it's not the other songs from the other bands. In uh, that's know, true. So it is. It's its right. Own it doesn't contain track. those two fantastic songs that Prince wrote for the time, mm-hmm. for instance. Yeah, those and uh, Love and the Bird. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, wow, what, Jeffy. Uh, what's your right? other one? Uh, my other one is uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Mm. Oh my God. And that's that's also diegetic. Diosthenes. Yes. Di- yeah. Diosthenes. <laughs> that is more of a diagnostic music, right? That's also a diagnostician. Yes. Um so that that is really interesting. Now that score, I'll I'll point out that that both of your choices were frequent choices of our listeners because we asked them the same question. Spoiler alert, we're about to do a special episode with you, our listeners, favorite soundtracks. Yeah, you, I didn't say song. You can do it. You could. You did it. <laughs> now I love "Oh Brother Where Art Thou." It's got all that fantastic, you know, T-Burn Burnett Appalachian stuff. music. Yes. Yeah, it's so, it's so cool. Um, but I have to say, "Purple Rain" best soundtrack album of all time. I mean, it's in the conversation. Yeah. I said fa- I said favorite. One of my favorites. It's uh, the, yeah. The the topic was not best. Yeah, no, it wasn't. But I, I'm just asking that question because oh. it is, it is so fantastic. It also is like good. one of the best non, just best albums of all time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it, it yeah. it's every category. The Venn diagram is everything for that record. Yeah, but it's yeah, interesting. It's yeah, I mean, look, it's an incredible album, and but it's interesting because it's a film made by a musician. You know, it's a vehicle for the music. Yeah, it's not that right. music was added later and i also think it's interesting because you know when i was looking into this soundtrack stuff like 
there are also soundtrack albums that it's like music inspired by the film and it's not even songs that are in the well, film that why. became a whole trend i would love right? to go next because yeah. i was i was about to, to pick off right where jeffy left you off. go next go is mine you've got mine next. is prince's batman soundtrack right which is one of i mean he did a number of soundtracks. you love that album well, i personally love it, it is really I good it. it is great and i, like I love the movie and i love the movie and but in, in the Prince world, it's not considered necessarily one of his best albums. But I do think it's the game changer for the for what ended up being the '90s. Because to what to what Brian's saying, that's the first record that I knew of that I've ever seen that is music from and inspired by the film. Most of which isn't <clears throat> in the film. And then immediately, and we should we should say that Batman is a batshit project from Prince because it is. he was asked to 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 write a song for. The yeah, new Batman two songs. movie. I can't remember which one it was. It was, it was Tim Burton's Batman, and then said, "How about nine? How about Batman. nine songs? How about a whole album?" <laughs> and then, and he gave him, yeah, he gave him a whole album. Reach song was sung by a character, so to speak. You know, he repurposed a handful of songs he was working on to make into a Batman project. And then what it does is a year later, you have Madonna do the exact same thing with her Dick Tracy "I'm Breathless" record, which is music from and inspired by Dick Tracy. But Vogue's not in Dick Tracy; it's on the "I'm Breathless" record. That. Um, John Bon Jovi does it with Blaze of Glory. You have it all the way through the 90s up to maybe like oh. Moulin Rouge even. Like the soundtrack to Moulin Rouge, oh. the score to Moulin Rouge, the movie is one thing. And the actual soundtrack CD is a bunch of artists doing songs that aren't even in the, the movie itself. They're doing covers of the songs in the movie. Yeah, it's but a fascinating wasn't this all Wasn't this all started, though, by Queen? I suppose, Highlander. yeah. I, well, Highlander or Flash Gordon. Yeah, well, um, I was gonna. Well, Flash Gordon was actually their their album was the soundtrack to the film Flash Gordon, but for yeah, Highlander was. there was no soundtrack. Oh, that's but interesting. It, a right? Kind of magic. Like, do you know this whole story? Yeah, world? I do. Listeners? That's a very good point. That that it's, is that predates it for sure. The reason I I mention it is because commercially Prince's album went to number one, tied to the film, and then it became that became the standard to which mm-hmm. to which all these other top yeah. artists were doing it. You're right, Queen creatively. Throw us your other first. one. Yeah. Um, my other one was not a successful soundtrack, but I think it's tremendous, which is which is the soundtrack to Todd Haynes' Velvet Goldmine, which is uh, you know a late nineties film he made about David Bowie, but not about David Bowie. He couldn't use any of the songs. And the soundtrack is a bu- bunch of original glam rock covers, a bu- I mean, co- original glam rock songs, a bunch of covers. Then they assembled two two almost riving, rival bands, one with Tom York of, of Radiohead singing songs, singing covers, one with, um, with what's his name, Ewan McGregor singing Iggy Pop songs type songs. It's a tremendous soundtrack record that's really this great cross-section of lost I 70s don't know glam it at rock. All. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great Neither film and a great soundtrack. Oh man, oh, yeah. Velvet Goldmine is gold. Brian Frank, you love everything, but you have to love two soundtracks more than any other. What do you got? Oh, it's so tough. But I, I'm specifically, and I mentioned the the Queen example. I think that the '80s started this concept of soundtracks, right, and them being important. Um, and, you know, I had a specific memory, like The Breakfast Club was the first one that stuck with me. The end of it, the end title, Don't You Forget About Me. But then I, I would say the 90s is the height yeah. of soundtrack albums, period. And there was a business around it and a marketing around it. And, you know, we could trace back how different films actually release the album first, like Saturday Night Fever. To, so 
to get to the point, 90s. There, there are two. <laughs> Again, the question is, what are your favorite soundtrack there albums? There are two from the 90s. Okay. Singles. Yeah. The soundtrack to the Cameron Crowe film. On my list. Nails, so many people feel the same way as you. Absolutely. You want to yeah. name some cuts? Nails the Seattle scene so well. Yep. And mm. I would say, um, oh, geez. <sighs> Uh, State of Love and Trust by Pearl Jam, which was uh, unique to the yeah. soundtrack. Birth Ritual by Soundgarden, which is oh so awesome. It, it also um, has the yeah. the full Chloe Dancer Mother Love Bone song that's not on the Mother Love Bone album. Yep. Your, that's, Chloe Dancer Crown of Thorns. That's yep. incredible. That is an incredible yeah. piece of singles. I will always love that. Uh, and it opens with Wood by Alice in Chains, which is just awesome. Um, yeah, that one. And then talking about how they really made a business of soundtracks. Another personal favorite is the soundtrack to Judgment Night. <laughs> I was going to ask if you love Judgment Night. I always think about that I one. I love Judgment Night. Yeah. The film, not so and much. That, that, everybody says it's a pretty terrible film, but that is a very, very famous soundtrack. It, because it was like... So being in New York in the early 90s, even late 80s, there was definitely this connection between hip-hop and you know, punk or, or hardcore or, or heavy metal. And it was pretty normal in that world, in that culture that I lived in. But it wasn't like a mass market thing so much. And when this came out in 93, with the combination of each song is a unique pairing of a hip-hop group and a like a hard rock heavy metal group, it's incredible. to to And all the songs are unique. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, it's it's amazing that 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 happened. It's it's quite a it's quite a feat, and it's so unique. You you put it exactly right. And it Sp couldn't happen today. The Spawn soundtrack tried to do that a few years later. If you remember the Spawn soundtrack, right. tried to do it with oh, yeah. with like metal and electronica, not to the same success, but really interesting. Only could be done on soundtracks. Only could be done in this weird mm. format for some weird movie that that just you know it's not an album. <laughs> it's just a weird thing people want to buy. Yeah, um, those are great. Yeah. Um, let me, I'm going to drop in my two. Um, they're not going to be controversial at all, I don't think. <laughs> um, because I, I really tried to hone to, like, what's my favorite? Which ones do I put on the most? And one of them, it's kind of because I have kids, but it's also because it's great. And it, in its own way, redefined the movie soundtrack. And that is 2014 Guardians of the Galaxy. Awesome Absolutely. Mix Volume 1. That is an achievement, because it's great. It exposed all of our children, as we know, those of us who have children, to music that had long disappeared. It wasn't like just hits from the 70s and 80s. It was forgotten hits, a lot of them. And the, one of the things that I love about it is that James Gunn, the director of the movie, wrote all those songs into his original screenplay, had to fight to get them in the movie. And get this, had to fight even harder to get an actual soundtrack from the movie released. Uh, apparently everybody was pushing back saying we can't sell this these are they, songs from very long ago let's get p diddy to get all his friends together <laughs> and we'll do reconceptualizations and remixes of these songs and james just said no if the you know if it doesn't sell it doesn't sell who cares it went to number 1 a couple of months later and it is here's a great little factoid a little wax fact, wax fact. first number 1 soundtrack album ever to contain no original songs. Oh, wow. That's mm. interesting. Well, and what's also great about that one, besides the fact they made a cassette release, which was pretty awesome on top of it, is by having that soundtrack or listening to it, you actually felt like you were part of the movie. Like the soundtrack itself 
is an element of the film. Do you know what I mean? It's not just yeah, a collection yeah. of songs. Having it is like I'm I'm now acting like I'm a it's, person in this movie. It's part of the yeah, uh, well, Star Lord's character. Exactly. It's a plot. It's a plot point, yeah. and it, and a very important one. And the very last, I think, the one of the very last images we see in the movie is the fact is he unwraps the fact that there's an awesome mix volume two, which simultaneously tells you there could be a sequel coming, and in fact becomes the soundtrack to the second uh, movie. It's fantastic. Here's the other one I want to do, and I'm kind of going to cheat a little bit because we're doing soundtracks, not scores, right? Mm-hmm. This is technically a soundtrack album, but. It is the one I listened to probably the most in the last 20 years because I love both the songs on it and the score that accompanies it, and they are intermixed on the album. And that is the um, original soundtrack to the Royal Tenenbaums, the Wes Anderson Interesting. movie. Mm-hmm. I don't now, think a I lot of it. people love his, love his stuff. Um, it is loaded with great songs that appear in the movie, including uh, These Days by Nico, um, the underrated wigwam by Bob Dylan, Judy is a punk by the Ramones, Police and Thieves by the Clash. I mean, and by the way, uh, Christmas time is here again by by Vince Guaraldi. Uh, <laughs> intermixed with that is an amazing score by Mark Mothersbaugh, probably the best one he did. I think he did like the first four Wes Anderson movies or something. His score for that movie is so on point. It's so. Uh, germane to the movie, although it is it is a score, uh, but every one of those pieces of music works as its own piece of music as well. I think. Well, it I don't reminds know me of another another '90s one is Lost Highway, which does the same thing. Oh, right, right. I had that one, which intermixes you know the the new songs or original songs with the Angelo Baldamenti, uh, Badalamenti right score. You know the guy who did all the David Twin Lynch Peaks stuff. and stuff. No, yeah. I, I and Jen. Generally, when that happens, what that means is that there's a bunch of cuts I'm going to be fast-forwarding past. You know, I'm going to be skipping when we get to the instrumentals. On Tenenbaums, I swear to God, you will not want to do that. Mark Mothersbaugh, uh, by the way, of Devo, um, just kind of killed it. And by the way, he did The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, too. Yeah, that's uh, really good. His next movie. Yeah. And he made it even weirder by including a Devo song <laughs> in the, <laughs> on the soundtrack. I haven't. All right. I haven't well, heard apparently. That one. Check that one out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you definitely should. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna check out whatever it is you said. Velvet, Velvet Goldmine. You know, yeah. Velvet Goldmine. Oh, absolutely gonna yeah. check out Velvet Goldmine. That, that, that is gonna be a find for me. I'm checking and it you out know right it's now. A fi- Sorry. Are you really? No. <laughs> you can't be. No. Take those headphones off, young man. <laughs> you know what else is a find for all of you guys? These bargains. <laughs> bargains. Dad Van Land will be right back. <laughs> Are they necessarily bargains? I can't believe these prices. Are you kidding me? DBL has returned as promised. And and wow, this is this is fantastic, isn't it? I mean, we're having a great time here, everybody. And if the you want to have a great time with us, hit us up on all our socials. There's uh, stuff happening on Insta. There's a ongoing conversation on our Facebook group, Dad Band Land, and of course, Twitter is where a couple of us live all the time anyway. So you can find us all there under the Dad Band Land hashtag. Look at the write-up for this week's show, and you'll see where all our socials are, or hit us up at dadbandland at gmail.com. That's all the housekeeping I have. Um, but I am sad to report, everybody, that our um, during the break, our car broke down. What? Yeah. 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 What, what On are the we, side what of the road. Work? We're in the middle of nowhere, Adam. What are we going to possibly do? Well, what's that over the, there? You, oh, 
What? What? What's that's that a, sound? <laughs> that's a how, that's, I, I think that's a, a puppy with asthma. But behind the puppy, if you look, there, there's a uh, there's a house. You know what, guys? Guys, this was this is so good. I, I, I see. I can see exactly how everyone believed Orson Welles is War of the Worlds now because this is so believable. I, right. I'm in the moment right now. Where the are puppy, we trapped here? The puppy had COVID, Adam. Don't be twice, weird. once oh. or twice. Oh. Yeah. Oh, hey. Hey, wait, there's a guy standing in front of that house. Hey, man. Oh, wow. Okay. What's, it looks like he guy? has candy. I think he has candy. He, what? he couldn't. He's too young to own that house. That's generational wealth is what that is. <laughs> no doubt about yes. it. Hey, sir, our car broke down. What kind of place is this? Wow, we're inside Brian's house of wax. Brian Frank. This is amazing. <laughs> you bring us it's week after week the albums of note, the anniversaries that we have to celebrate, the platters that matter. And you do it all from inside this amazingly well-appointed giant old Victorian house. <laughs> yeah, I've been uh, I've been working on it, you know, and um it's it's made of wax. That's the interesting thing. It's oh. how it's a house of wax. That contains vinyl records. What do so, you do during that, the summer? <laughs> it's uh, I've uh, I, I put there's this um, little juke joint down the street, and there's this thing called Jeffy's Icebox, and I have a um, this line that goes from there to here oh. that keeps it cool. That sounds wow. very expensive and yeah. and precarious. <laughs> but as long as the house is still standing, Brian, what, safe. what are we featuring this week in the House of Wax? <laughs> this week we're talking about Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. Yeah, which was their <laughs> wow. <laughs> whoa. Uh, <laughs> Adam's excited. Yes. Which uh, which was their debut album? Uh, it was originally released on July twenty first, nineteen eighty seven. Ooh, nice wax. Which fact. makes it approximately yeah thirty five years old as of uh, the time of this recording. Um, which wow seems like a long time ago and seems like just yesterday because I remember this album coming out <laughs> so well. Um, yeah, it's a it's a. Pretty fantastic story. I, you know, I'll keep the the wax facts uh, to a minimum because I think we have some good discussions to be had Mm -hmm. about it. I think there's that puppy again. Um, (laughs) So, uh, so this this uh, you hang in there, little fella. We're gonna find a cure. (laughs) (laughs) Was a was a commercial juggernaut um, and has sold approximately thirty million copies. Worldwide, wow. making it one of the best-selling albums of all time. It is the best-selling debut album of all time, uh, and the seventh best-selling album of all time in the history of the United States of America. The interesting part about it was it didn't just come out and was an instant success. Um, as I as I mentioned, it came out in July, and it wasn't until. Uh, Five weeks later, August 29th, that it cracked the charts at number 182. Um, And uh, the label, Geffen Records, was actually considering just uh, throwing their hands up uh, because it was not going the way that they had anticipated. And there was not positive. The the reviews were not good (laughs) 
radio stations did not want to play Welcome for the Welcome to the Jungle. MTV did not want to play the video. But um, there's a guy named Al Corey who worked at Geffen Records, and he worked really hard to lobby MTV to play the video. Uh, supposedly, he said, "Look, just play it once a night for three nights and see how it goes." And it became the most requested video. And I will tell you on a personal uh, basis, I did see that video. I don't know if it was, you know, one of those one of three times or whatever. But when I saw that video, my young mind, I was like, what the fuck just happened? It was instantaneous for me that I'm like, I don't know what this is, but I need to know more about this. And I waited and waited for MTV to play it again so I could figure out what it was and who it was and, and all that stuff. It was, it was seismic. And so um, after that, it finally, it was just a slow build, slow build, slow build. It was August 6, 1988. So after a year, it finally hit number one on the charts. Uh, it spent four non-consecutive weeks at number one, for, and it spent a total of 147 weeks on the chart. Good so it was one of God. those where you stick, yeah, you stick with it, and it'll get there. Um, a couple wax, wax facts. Wax facts. Um, uh, and this is this is a personal one that I find pretty funny is that the album was was mostly recorded at Rumbo Recorders in North Hollywood, which is the studio of Daryl Dragon. Do you guys know who Daryl Dragon is? No. Uh, well, you should know him, Adam. He's a keyboard player. You might know him as the. <laughs> you all, you all the, know each uh, other. Yeah, we all know I, each other. I well. never see him at the meetings <laughs> unless he has another name. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he does. Um, you might know him as the captain of Captain and Tennille. Oh, the captain! Whoa. Yeah, he's at every meeting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's, I thought, I, he's been I'm dead for years. I, I'm pretty sure he's he leaves there. the meetings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I just find it pretty funny that this this really you know hard rock record was uh, was recorded at his studio with that original um, album cover art by Robert Williams, the painting. If uh, those of you in in our listening audience are not familiar with what I'm talking about, there was a uh, uh, the original album art. It was quite controversial. And uh, retailers did not want to stock the record, so they ended up um, changing the cover art, putting that art inside. So if you do have a copy of this or if you just Google it, you'll see what I'm talking about. By the way, if you do have a, a copy of the original um, cover of the album, that also has as a, um unlisted track a cover of Muskrat Love. <laughs> um, the other thing is if you do have... If you do have a cover of the, the if if you do have a copy of the original album, uh, it does not have side A and side B. It's got side G and side R. That, uh, yeah. The G is that is that not the original? I mean, I have the original. No, I bought it on Rye, original. Rye, Is it still yeah. that way? If you buy it now, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder how they how they did it. I'm sure they had to have uh, done that with the reissues. But uh, for those of you at home, side G is is the first side, uh, which is the guns side which is the uh, tough, tough side. And then uh, the second side, the rose side, is uh, more the, the love songs. <laughs> you Quote, As it unquote, were. love songs. Yes. As it were. Go on, Brian. Yes, yes. Um, those, are, those are really my wax facts. I'd, I'd rather just talk wax about this one. Like I said, for me personally, it was, it was such a, a change. I would, I would liken it to Nirvana's Nevermind in Agreed. terms of what it did to, um, yeah. you know, shake up the music scene you know so often on this show we 
um, relate the music that we talk about and we pin it to Kevin Kevin Burke's emotional state um, at the time <laughs> and what his needs yeah, were. Yeah. And what his needs yeah, were. That, and uh, that and is, this, that's what you should do for all music. Yeah, yeah. But for this particular album, I'm going to pull the What About My Needs card because... You know what? I I was the 80s was, you know, a pivotal time in my life. I entered as a non-teen and went through my entire teens in the 80s and even entered my 20s in the 80s. And I want to I want to put it this way. I think if I'm not mistaken that of the probably hundreds of albums I bought during that decade, definitely 100, uh 3 of them were metal albums or what we consider metal now. One of them in 1980 was uh Back in Black. I then Thought you were going to say Kiss Unmasked. No, I didn't. <coughs> um, uh, <laughs> no, you said Metal <laughs> oh Albums. Oh, my goodness. I, uh, yeah. So uh, moving on through then, uh, I'll explain in just a minute. There were, there were no metal albums in my life. The next one I bought, I think, was Living Colors Vivid. I think you have to call nice. that a metal album, and but it was oh, for sure. unlike anything I'd ever heard before. I was hooked the second I heard Cult of Personality, and at the very end of the 80s, I think the only other metal album I bought, and it was with a sort of a, a, uh, a wince that I'll get to in a second, was this album, Appetite for Destruction. And here's where my emotional needs come in. Especially in the late 80s, as I was in my teens and uh, then hit 20, what I needed from music was meaning. And if not meaning... Sometimes yeah, I could go without meaning, but authenticity. And what that meant was that my, my life had no place for what heavy metal was. Uh, I know, Kevin, you were, you were 11. Um, and, and like all that like weird kabuki, fake devil, teased hair, play acting bullshit meant something mm-hmm. to you. What it meant to me was there is no meaning here. There's nothing that I want out of this music. I recognize a couple of good good guitar riffs, but there's so little authenticity, and what you find is, you know, slathered around so much other stuff that I had no interest in. So my taste was more along the lines of what's what we now call alternative. Definitely the beginnings of hip hop. I was buying everything I could, and you know, punk and in the late '80s, post punk. Along comes this album, and I. I I am loath to just call it a metal album because it it straddles so many genres. It did something that no other metal, as far as in my experience, was doing at that time. It ha- it was a punk album. It had a punk aesthetic, yeah. a punk attitude, and a punk authenticity that even in the parts where it was gross, it it felt real, and I was thrilled by it. Well, I can respond. I'll, I'll respond in detail in a second to all this, but I don't consider this a metal album in the, in the least bit, to be honest. Many like, people this do is not. I suppose so, but I mean, we can talk about the difference between metal and and rock and roll. Uh-huh. And this was this was a rock record because it was far more raw than metal. Like metal is aggressive, but metal is never this raw and this dangerous. And exactly, this was like a, yeah. a blues based rock record of the kind that the Stones and everyone else was, had been trying to do, but they achieved that exactly what you said that, that authenticity, like that. Yeah, that. To me, metal, you know, like, you know, the bands like Metallica or Black Sabbath, like, yeah, they're heavy and they're that, but they're not this, they never, there's a controlled danger to that. This record. Controlled danger is a perfect phrase. Yeah. And this record, I bought this, I mean, to put it into quick context, like the first album I bought with my own money was Motley Crue, Girls, Girls, Girls. So I bought that, this in the same calendar (laughs) year. I rest my case, Your Honor. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't. Well, yeah, no. Molly Crew, Van Halen. These were like anthems about how to live your life. They weren't authentic things by street street urchins about being a street urchin, right? That yeah. was not what they were. 
And as I searched, as I grew older, I was like, what's the best rock record? Like pure rock. Because rock to me is the train's going too fast. It's about to go off the tracks, but it never does, right? Like the plane's about to crash, never quite hits. Like it's uncontrolled chaos. I mean, it's chaos that feels like your needle's about to skip out, but never gets there. And it never dawned on me that it was this record because Guns N' Roses immediately after this record became this overly huge, kind of a, a preposterous, somewhat corporate joke of a rock band that it's very easy to forget that this is an album by five horrible, four four terrible drug addicts and one person with severe mental illness at the time put together. An Which one was the severe mental, mental illness guy? Well, meaning Axel was the one who's, who had, I mean, Axel wasn't a substance abuse guy. That, that was the other guy. No, Axel was the not one. at all. No, no, that's the weird thing. As time has shown, you know, when Axel was like taking the name of the band and he was yelling at the other people, it was easy to believe, it was easy to blame him. He had his own problems, but he was recognizing the rest of his band were becoming heroin addicts and were becoming extremely unreliable and it was becoming us versus them sort of mentality. Anyhow, the point is they made this record with five five people that were so volatile that that volatility is captured on record, and this lineup never made another record. There's no other records with this. And what do you think it would have been if Paul Stanley had produced it? So, guys, Paul Stanley of KISS was actually considered as a producer of this record. No, I know, I know Guns N' Roses because Geffen had signed them and, and they couldn't get anyone to produce them because they were so volatile. They were like pirates. Mike Klink has made some great records, but he's not a, he's not a Bob Rock level rock producer. Mm-hmm. What he did perfectly was ca- just recorded this band to do what they do best, which is pretty much to be like a punk version of a, of a blues rock band. Like this is the album the Stones and, and Aerosmith and everyone had been trying to make and couldn't make. And I think the reason they couldn't make it is show business. I think the Rolling Stones <clears throat> and and Aerosmith are good at show business. Guns N' Roses were four junkies, you know, like a team of actual pirates doing this, and right. that's what's captured, and that that's why there's nothing else like it. There's only one song after this album with a full band ever again, and that's Civil War. is the only other song they ever did with this lineup, other than the okay. leftovers on Lies. Jeffy, I'm guessing that you come from this, you know, like me, nah, you came at this Jeff's album experience? from a group of people, from a from a cohort and a and a fandom that was just like not Guns N' Roses probably wasn't your kind of album back then, right? Not not really on my radar back then. Um, I've certainly over the you know in the years since I've um, become fairly familiar with the hits, obviously the right. three big hits. Um, but um, yeah, this was the first time for sure this week that I listened to the whole thing, and I was impressed. It yeah. definitely felt it. It definitely felt like, you know, as Kevin said, it felt like something that was ephemeral, and it turned out to be. But it does feel like they. It was just a perfectly frozen moment in time. Like, right, yeah, and it it feels like there's a, a portion of luck to it, and you you wonder how many other albums like this there are out there that, um, sort of, uh, sort of a one off. Like you know, there are plenty of bands that have multiple albums, but there's a particular lineup, and it's not always the first lineup. But this 
to me, like, is so consistent throughout. Yeah. Oh, per, that yes. was the thing that was crazy for me was how cons- I'm like, oh, this song also slaps. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, and the themes remain. We can start breaking down the other songs. Oh, another thing I want to point out is that often there's like one or two hits on an album, and the rest of the album has is a variety of other kind of sounds and other kind of takes, and it's a little bit different. I would say almost any one of these songs, you know, it's very much a song from Appetite for Destruction. There's yeah, there's there's the tone, a consistency the there, the tone, the band, and you don't want to leave it. You're not like you're not like going like so where's their ska tune? It's and, no. and their hits are com- are their hits are not them being commercial. It's just the three songs that happen to be hits. And they well, are and that's what just me. as awesome. It, it stuns me that it sold that many copies because there isn't a feel-good song on this record, right? Every song is paranoid, it's dark, it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Like, even the quote-unquote love songs come from a dark place. Like, I, no I say I consider I consider this possibly the best rock record ever made. It's not my favorite rock record because I don't want to go to those dark places all the time. Like It's I don't, really I don't, dark. I don't want to dance with Mr. Yeah. Brownstone every day of the week. No, uh, I don't want to think everyone's <laughs> out to get me, do you know? Like, I there's, there's, it's, and the song that sells me, because I love Welcome to the Jungle, and it's cool, and the video was outrageous. It's a straight-up rock song. It's it's his many voices, and it's so easy, and the different sections of it's so easy. That's the moment. I'm like, this is not kicks, right? I am not listening to Poison right now. You <laughs> Let's know? drop like, a little bit of It's So Easy band. right now. I see your sister in a Sunday dress. Yeah, that's that's just ridiculous. It's and so good. The Mr. Brownstone impressed me this time because like because like it's not sort of like I'm going to give you a metaphor and then sort of you know oh really it's about that uh, and 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 <laughs> right. I don't know I don't know I don't know who wrote those lyrics but I love the fact that it's sung from the point of view of the band not an individual in the band. The chorus, yeah. we, we've been dancing with Mr. Brownstone. I mean, that, that puts you on the bus with these crazy junkies. Yeah, absolutely. And you feel like that bus is about to go off a cliff and it's <laughs> yes. barely holding on the whole time. And that that's the thrill of the record and never stops. There's not a song on it in which that stops. You get all the way through Rocket Queen, it never stops being put keeping you on edge i i it's to me this sounds like a miracle that it was this 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 rawness was captured i i I am with you i will say about rocket queen that you know because i've been away from this album as an album for well over a decade a couple of decades maybe um my experience of guns and roses over the last you know decade or two has been those three hits sweet child of mine which is you know an instant mm-hmm. classic. The second I, I don't know, uh, my the second I saw that video on MTV, I knew I'd be hearing that on the radio for the rest of my life. Uh, it, it, it's, it's got that kind of epic quality to it. And uh, Paradise City and uh, Welcome to the Jungle, that's yeah, what I've been listening obvious. to. Listening to all the, this whole album again, Rocket Queen is not only a fantastic choice for the last song on any album ever, it's... <laughs> it's <laughs> It is as epic, moving, and crazy, and and ultimately the only hopeful <clears throat> moment of the record. Yeah, um, it, yeah, it's beautiful, and it ends beautifully. Rocket Queen, Rocket Queen was my revelation this week, that because because I'd forgotten how much I loved that song because it's not really a you know a radio hit, but it it's fantastic. No, 
Well, it's it's got some darkness to it too, which I recommend you go into to deeper. If not, we won't do it on the podcast. But if you want to research what's going on in the report, if you want to go oh, on the recording I, of Rocket oh, Queen, no, I, I have done that some research. It went down, yeah. but yes. but yeah, and I also feel like I also feel like for a generation, and again, you're older, but even for my generation, this was we're this was both like Gen blank, X, by the way, Kevin. So you're right, Technically, we are. we're for, both but, Gen my, X. but the people that were in seventh grade when this came out, it uh, it. <laughs> was it went fast it's like two years of them being this edgy dangerous rock band and then they are the massive mtv bloat like machine like the user illusions albums which i think have some great songs on it they're they're rarely ever a band on any of those given songs like they're almost axel doesn't sing on on a number of those songs like it's almost the like a white album of the it's a collection of various songs members of guns and roses made sometimes the band sometimes not like the band never did this again so if you're <laughs> Memory of Guns N' Roses is this like overproduced, slick, early 90s thing. Like, go back and rediscover this record because there's nothing like it. This is raw and dangerous. And maybe they should have all, you know, maybe at the very end of it, that plane that barely was trying not to crash should have just gone into the edge of a cliff. And then we would have had this perfect record and never, never have had Guns N' Roses be, you know, dismissed after that because they did become a different thing. Our takeaway, everybody Kevin wishes they died. <laughs> there are yeah i hate to be that i hate to be that way but had they do that everyone would be wearing guns and roses shirts right now yeah um uh, I, it feels like we're all walking away with the same kind of consensus on this um now i would call it a, a metal record one of the reasons was was that um you know it was the metalheads that discovered it first yeah, I mean, I guess, I, I mean, it depends on your difference, and this is a really fine-tuned thing that I think a lot of, but, but metal's a little more classical-based, not not based on blues rock. Like, I don't consider Motley Crue, except for maybe Shout Out to the Devil, to be a metal band. They're they're a rock band. Guns N' Roses is a rock band. Poison's a rock band. Like, okay. the hair metal scene was mostly Ke- Ke- rock. Kevin, if you just rock. took Poison, Motley Crue, and Guns N' Roses out of the metal camp... Yeah, uh, I did. Yeah, you're dismissed. <laughs> no, I did. I absolutely did. <laughs> Because metal, because metal's Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, Metallica, okay. like they're right. in a different camp. Okay, I think we're talking There's about subgenres camp. here. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're talking about subgenres, but yeah, I think of Guns N' Roses more like the Stones and Aerosmith than than anything else. Okay, hard rock, hard rock, hard rock, yeah. okay. hard hard rock. Yes. Yeah. Is this? I mean, I think I know Kevin's answer. I don't know what my answer is. Is this the best? rock album as qua rock of all time is it the most rock album of all time <laughs> that, that yes yeah. it is the most rock album of all time how many rock albums the cover art is the lead singer the tattoo on the lead singer's arm of the band itself as skulls as skull, right <laughs> right yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, yeah, I mean, it is the most rock album, and I would say it is certainly up there as one of the best rock albums of all time, just for the reasons that we just all said. There are 12 songs, 50, almost 54 minutes, that are all exceptional and capture this ethos and this feeling that is fairly unparalleled. I mean, you know, you could you could compare it maybe to like, um, uh, what's it called? Rolling Stones, uh, Exile on Main Street. Yeah. But that album's not as good. 
Agreed. I said it. <laughs> yeah, that no. Record's not wow. Wow. You, it is not as yeah. good. It's not as concise. I love Exile. Not as yeah. concise and focused of a rock record. Um, yeah, there are some, yeah. like, Back in Black's up there, obviously. Yeah. Aerosmith. But Aerosmith, you put the best of Aerosmith together, maybe it competes with, with this album. But it's not. there's no singular Aerosmith album <clears> that competes with this record. There's no Aerosmith album that's 12 songs in 54 minutes this good. Agreed. Period. And their yeah. older albums are shorter and their newer albums are longer and not as good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you I, can. I have, yeah. I have a question. Can you get any more metal than five skulls? <laughs> that is a very yeah. good point, Jeffy. Well, well, let's add one more thing. Five skulls on a, on a cross. No, no cross. Like, yeah. it's, it's, that. <laughs> One extra step of metal. You're, you're arguing cross. against yourself maybe right now, on, Barrister. <laughs> maybe if it were on fire. Yeah. <laughs> no, Jeffy's point is well no. taken. I do want to. I don't want to get out of here without saying the name Slash, however, because you know there's a lot of talk about this band as a band. There's a lot of talk about Axel, and I, you know, I love. Let's hear it for Axel and Izzy and Mongo and Beanpole and everybody else who's in the band, whoever they are. Um, Slash is playing is. <laughs> Is Marco and Bean, Bean Slash, Just shut up. Uh, now, yeah, now, now I know what kind of. Now I know what records you were listening to. Were those the albums you were buying when this came out? Is this one of the non-metal records no, you bought in the eighties? My, my impression of just naming members of XTC. Yeah, I'm sure I was he just, was. I was just doing the the, the Herschel caricature of Guns and Roses. All, all, sure. it's a it's a great band. Um, yes, and that, yes, <laughs> Izzy and Muzz, etc. etc. But. Slash's playing is so good and so pure. Yes, he's working very well with his other guitarists. Yes, he's he's fantastic at at, at you know finding the moments where they're all working together. But oh my god, in terms of a, just a laying down the gauntlet as a rock guitarist, Slash on 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 Appetite for Destruction is just the, the engine that makes this album go. As far as I'm concerned, I, I have to. I will say I agree. My favorite moment is at the end of. Um at the end of Paradise City, where he he is playing so fast, he's playing too fast. There's moments where it feels like he has lost control of his fingers because it's going too quickly, <laughs> and that yeah. and that is exactly rock at its best. Like I'm like he's not going to get back yeah. on. There's no way he's getting back on. And he gets back on, but Izzy Stradlin does not get the credit he deserves as a songwriter. Yeah, there's, as a, the, there's as always the somebody coolest, said that Izzy doesn't get enough member. credit. Yeah, he no. slash is the <laughs> slash and Axel are the cartoon characters, right? They look like, but Izzy was the coolest guy who. And when he left the band, the songs don't, the songs aren't the same. Do you know? Like the great songs are Izzy's songs, and uh, and that's that's the hard truth of Guns N' Roses. When he's gone, this is not the same band for that reason too. Right, but if Slash goes, it's not a band at all. It's got to have a new name. Well, no, it, no. Legally, Axel got the name Guns N' Roses. Remember, That's he made sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, do, I do know that. <laughs> Chinese yes. democracy. Yeah, yeah Chinese yeah. democracy, which is a great, great piece of work, um, <laughs> and definitely considered part of the Guns N' Roses canon. <laughs> and you know what? Oh, On boy. that, uh, boy, that, I, you know what? I do like Kevin was saying. I recommend that everybody uh, who hasn't picked this album up, you know, pick a sunny yeah. day so it doesn't bring you down. But, you know, g give this another try because it's amazing. It, and yeah. I'll add sort of as a as a boost to um, my beloved Apple Music, I want to say that um, three of the cuts, the three hits from that album, are now available in Atmos. And they are uh, very much worth your time if you have the capability of listening in Atmos. They've done, they've done uh, Paradise City, Welcome to Jungle, and Sweet Child of Mine in Atmos. And it, it's it, the separation it creates between the instruments is fantastic. I can vouch for that. It slaps. <laughs>
Kevin, did you have something else you wanted to wrap this up with uh, a bow? No, no, I don't. I don't. I mean, it slaps can't be beaten. I feel like this ending of the Roses conversation. <laughs> you um, know what else? No, 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 I was just, I was staying on the throne of skulls. Yeah, all I was just going to say was, was version of what you were saying. You may take this album for granted. You may not have thought to go back and grab it, but do it. Listen to it with fresh ears because it is still as raw today as it was then. And uh, you know what else is as awesome today as it was last week? Our sponsors. Wow, that was a lame segue. But we're going to do it. DBL. <laughs> DBL. <laughs> you know what's raw? Meat before you cook it. <laughs> DBL be right back. We are back at Dad Van Land DBL. DBL. Uh, we're a COVID edition. I'm still uh, well. Technically, I'm I'm cured, but I have another it's two days. Two days it's before the third encore. I, yeah, no, there's not a third encore. Look it up, everybody. Google <laughs> Paxlovid Rebound. It's a thing. I didn't invent it. <laughs> no, I, I didn't say you invented it. I'm just, you know, I'm just waiting for you to invent the new one. Paxlov Rebound Rebound. God damn it. All right. Hey, guess what we're doing now? It's time for Hidden Treasures. Once again, Hidden Treasures, this this uh, segment morphs from week to week. But it's essentially songs that we thought should get more attention than they done got to this point. And to that point, here's Brian Frank walking away from a rapidly melting house of wax. <laughs> it is it is warm here in the house. You you might need some Freon. Yeah. So um yeah, so my song tonight uh I just listened to this uh record the other day. It's it's on my Instagram. It was the uh 55th anniversary of this record and um this is a song and an album that came out like I said in in 1967 and the music industry thought it was going to be big. Other bands around them thought they were going to be the next big thing. They thought this song was going to be a hit. And I would venture to guess two of you have never heard this song. I believe Kevin may have heard it because he made some reference to it in a side thing. So here, I'm just going to play it. But again, think of this is June 67. So you have to put it in the context of when this came out. For me, the context is a fetus named Adam. Nice. Okay, Brian, right. that's a that's a sixties hit I never heard. What is yeah. that? That is Moby Grape, and the song is called Omaha. What Moby and Grape? What? Yeah, get into <laughs> Mo, get into Moby Grape is what I so, will say. Yeah, Mo, Moby Grape was from uh, Northern California, and they were essentially like the the Buffalo Springfield of the San Francisco scene. And Buffalo Springfield even said they were better than them, and apparently were. <laughs> <laughs> One of the best live bands of the time. Um, all the guys uh, wrote and uh, and sang. And this is the weirdest part about this record. This is the part that really flipped me out uh, when I understood this when I was listening to it again for the anniversary. The album came out, and the day the album came out, the record label decided to release 
five double A side singles the same day. What? So they were essentially, yeah, so they were essentially had five singles out competing with themselves at the exact same time. There were so many no drugs in this. That, that's what I was going to say that exact uh, same thing because my belief in Moby Grape and that record, that first record is outstanding. The problem is every song was a single, thereby no song. It's like whenever you're nominated for Oscar, you know, five actors from the same movie, no one gets the nomination, right? It They put out, every, they thought it'd be this brilliant idea to put out every song as a single. <laughs> Thereby canceling anyone's knowledge of Moby Grape, right? There's no, no yeah, it's it's a fascinating experiment in failure, that first Moby Grape yeah. album, but the music is great. Music is great. They fell apart because of drugs and mental illness, but man, check it out, uh, Moby Grape, self-titled. I love it, love it. Oh, man, that, that, is, that is a very, very well-hidden treasure. Uh, Jeffy Branion, what's yours, man? <laughs> well, um... My track is from 2001. It's um, uh, it's an electronic. I would put it in the electronic genre, but the reason I like it is that there's a guest artist on it that I was into at the time, and uh, I'll just I'll, I'll I'll play you a little bit of it. featuring oh. David Gray. I was going to say wow. David Gray singing. And yeah, uh, cool. I, I love that song. It's it's from the All Together. And, uh, you know, I was a fan of theirs, them separately, and then they did this song together, and I just thought it was the, the best. It was like a Marvel team-up. I really enjoyed <laughs> it. <laughs> That's fantastic. What album that was that? excellent. That's on the All Together. Uh, 2001 orbital fantastic what a great sound yeah good stuff yeah, yeah I completely missed that one i'm gonna check that out these hidden are treasures. really well hidden treasures kevin <laughs> what's the song we've never heard before that you're playing for us now i've got a song by um one of my favorite bands but i haven't been paying much attention to them in a while but primus is a band i'm a big fan of especially those first three primus albums um which were outstanding. And I saw them live a few years ago and they were still great. So I have to say Primus still brings it. So if you're a Primus fan, check them out because it's still a great show. But they had an album of, they had a B-Sides record. And the B-Sides record, you know, had a lot of rarities. And some of these were my favorite Primus songs. And, um, but people don't really think about them because they're, again, they're a collection of B-Sides. And uh, so I wanted to play one of those from that.
All right. So that, of course, is Primus doing a song that I've never heard called Making Plans for Nigel. It's a really, really great song. You guys familiar with this song? No, I never heard of it. (laughs) I didn't Um, think you would. Kevin, what made you realize that a band that you loved covered an XTC song? Because that is XTC's (laughs) Making Plans for Nigel. And not only is it covered Making uh, Plans for Nigel, it doesn't do anything really new with it. And that's very much (laughs) how the song sounds. You know, hold on. Hold on. First of all, what they do is they they increase the tempo the correct amount because that's exciting. And the original one is is a snooze fest. Oh, you've listened to it. A snooze fest. Anyhow, uh, no, you know what? This is the, the in context. I had to turn your entrapment around to to, to uh, do reverse entrapment. And brilliant, uh, brilliant. And uh, no, in fairness, I have only ever heard this song by Ecstasy in this version. Like I XTC, only knew it. Yes. XTC, my bad. Whatever. I read the liner notes. I was like, oh, there's some band named XTC that I'll never hear of again when I bought this thing. <laughs> and then, sure enough, got to like. A couple decades later, you guys won't stop talking about XTC. <laughs> and uh, I have to say, I, I, I genuinely love this version. I've always loved this song and this cover, and I've never searched out the original until, until I was planning this for today, and I decided to check it out. And, some, and it is some. about a third shorter tempo. It, it's, it's a great song, though. Any way you slice it, the composition's fantastic. No, no, I, I'm, I, I am just partially kidding it is good but i prefer the primus version it's a little more aggressive and exciting and Fair. uh it's the one i know but it's a yeah. great cover if you haven't heard it check it out that that is that is a great uh piece of turnabout there and i'm, I'm glad that <laughs> i didn't i'm glad that i didn't throw in an xtc song for mine this week because uh i was thinking about it uh, but i figured like that that's happened already there's no new take on that but there you go uh, no, i did not i did not Fresh realize take. that primus had done a done a cover jeffy did you know that no, I did not. <laughs> I good. very much enjoyed. Unaware. I very much enjoyed watching your faces as the realization started to kick in. <laughs> no, the realization was right away. I just was like it doesn't uh, sound yeah, like no, a, it, yeah. It does not sound like Primus. I mean, I it does. No but that's <laughs> yeah, no, like that's Brian, a good Primus song. You had a purity. You had a purity to this whole thing that I, I, I unfortunately was tainted by one XTC song in my life. Time for mine. I was stuck between two this week, guys, because I have one that's a soundtrack uh, from a great soundtrack that many of our listeners cited as their favorite, uh, but a somewhat obscure song. But the other thing, the one I really want to do, it's of a genre that we basically don't talk about. And um, for reasons that I'll explain afterwards, I I think it's time to highlight a little bit of what's going on here. This is from 2004, though its roots go way back before then. This is a cover of a cover of a cover. Um, but this is a, a touching little ditty about a, um, a, a cosmetically challenged gentleman and, and how you can sensitively deal with that topic. That is Toots and the Maytals, a Monkey Man, a cover of their original uh, 1967 hit, um, Monkey Man, and it's from their album True Love from, from 2004. Good, Kevin, what were you going to say? I was saying, I've never heard that. I've never heard that before. The original I, m- I may have heard, but I don't... I never heard that well how did you come across this song like what well i i've loved this album since it came out in 2004 
Um, I, I probably have more affection for ska and reggae than m- most of the people here in the, in the, in the room. Um, and Toots and the Maytal is, is Toots uh, Hibbert is his name, was absolute reggae legend starting in like 1962. In 2004, still with us and still vital, um, Toots recorded an album of all his great songs with an amazing array of special guests. Um, that particular version of Monkey Man features No Doubt in its entirety there. Um, other cuts involve Bonnie Raitt, Willie Nelson, Eric Clapton, Shaggy, Jeff Beck, Ben Harper, Keith Richards, and 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 many more. The, the, uh, the Roots appear with Bootsy Collins, so it's Boots, Roots, and Toots on Funky Kingston, which is another... Great, great piece. We don't talk enough about reggae and ska, which is actually which actually predates reggae, doesn't post-date it the way a lot of people think. And that the reason I bring that up is because that song is fantastic. It's funny. That album is beautiful. And Toots was like this living legend who walked among us, still making great music for years until 2020 when he died of COVID. The end. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's so so. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I'm with you, Adam. I'm a, I'm a big fan of of toots and uh, obviously those genres. I actually took a class in Caribbean music when I was in college. Did uh, you really? Cause how, yeah, because that's how uh, into it I am. And it was so sad when he because he put out a, a new album in 2020. Yes, he did. And then passed away, which was just so so sad. And he was so reinvigorated and excited about his new thing. Um, and it was on uh, Trojan Records, which has recently been relaunched as well, which is a classic uh, reggae label and definitely worth uh, looking up and checking out those compilations that uh, were out in the UK in like the 60s and 70s are just tremendous. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it it it, amaz- it was it was so sad during COVID. Like he was a, one of the first celebrity COVID deaths I was aware of because I think it was in November of 2020. It was it was pretty early on in the thing. Um, so yeah, everybody check it out if if you want an accessible um, entree into Toots and the Maytal and his thing. You can't do better than True Love 2004. All right, um, now you know what it's time for now, Kyle. Yes, Kyle, it is time for your crown of fame. Kyle, validate us. Validate our choices. All right, so it's time for the crown of fame. And just to keep the unprecedented nature of this podcast <laughs> and this particular ceremony alive, today's crown will be announced with a needle drop. So oh. here it is. I'm going down south by Yep, so it's Primus, <laughs> Kevin, you won. Congratulations. Yep. I, yeah. I thank Honestly, you. Honestly, I just really wanted to play the South Park theme on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> A fair reason. And uh, uh, Kevin Burke, you're wearing the crown of fame this week. You know what? I, this is, I, don't, I mean, I pulled, a, I pulled an XTC entrapment reversal plus one the crown. I'm just leaving. I'm topping it this episode. It, mic drop, absolutely. Um, All right, everybody, speaking about mic drops, we're going to do a four-man simultaneous mic drop in just 30 seconds. Send your questions, comments, and your own cover band experiences, if you have one, we don't, uh, to dadbandland at gmail.com. Follow us on all the socials. Dadbandland is produced by me and by Jeffy Brannion. Opening music montage, usually by Jeffy, sometimes by Kyle. Editing and Starburns production by Kyle McGraw. Our theme song is by Adam Korn. 
We're gonna we're gonna see you next week on Dad Bandland. Stop and a podcast network.